One of the most challenging aspects of speaking on Pentecost Sunday on the Holy Spirit is that language is so inadequate to describe something that is beyond our immediate experience. If I was to give you the challenge of describing what it is like to swim to someone who has never swum, never been in water, you would recognise that words will be inadequate to try and describe an action and a feeling and a sensation that is bigger than words can convey. And similarly, so it is with the Holy Spirit, that the, the working of the Spirit, to engage with the Spirit, to feel the brush and the work of the Spirit defies language. So the, the Bible tends to use a lot of images to describe it. It's like this, it's like that in different ways. The reality that it's pointing to is very real. It is greater than the imagery, the metaphors that are used, but we are left with things that evoke an experience. So we tend to have lots of icons. We tend to have lots of um, imagery to help us to understand differing aspects of this greater reality of the Holy Spirit that is front and centre throughout Scripture. In fact, the work of the Spirit can be seen from the opening verses of the Bible right through to the goal, the telos of the Bible. The Spirit is central to our understanding of the presence of God. And whether it's the simplicity and the elegance of the imagery of a dove The Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism like a dove. Or whether it's got more energy to it and something that's conveyed by our readings in uh, Acts of the Apostles and certainly from Acts 2. There's a power, there's an energy that is behind the movement of the Spirit. In fact, in the uh, Eastern Orthodox tradition, they tend to speak of the Spirit more as an energy rather than something that is, um, in the Western tradition, described as more of a person. Of all the various images and uh, uh, ways to evoke um, what was described in this amazing event in Acts chapter 2, we have our own piece of art over on the wall. So you want to actually see not just the version that I managed to capture on the screen, but I do encourage you to go and look at the version that is in our Western corner. hope that's okay, Frank, to, to draw our attention to it and have a word to Frank Grouso, whose work it is. Um, what I, I like about this particular work when I was reflecting on it is that there's a, um, a hypersensory moment that happens in the text. The, the, the wind blows and it's as loud as the roar of a, of a wind blowing in a storm. We have all these languages breaking out in different directions. We have all this confusion in the crowd in the house. And the Spirit filled the whole house. For me, as a hypersensory person, I would sort of want to step outside for a moment to catch my breath. But we convey that sense of this is such a, uh, an incredible moment captured through the narrative that we have before us. And I really like this piece that Frank has developed the text there, you would see, and suddenly a a sound like the blowing of a violent wind filled the whole household. 
As we explore it, there's a few, there's many different aspects that we could touch on. So I'm just going to draw on a few, a few um, significant features. But to say we could uh, spend a lot of time exploring this. First of all, Luke reminds us the day when it occurred, the day of Pentecost came. Jesus, when he had been with his disciples after his resurrection, told them to wait. And they waited for 10 days and prayed. The season of Pentecost, we associate very readily with the coming of the Holy Spirit, but it actually has an earlier history as part of the, uh, the Jewish festivals, the festivals of Israel. After Passover, which we mark through Easter, there is the commencement of the festival of the unleavened bread. And that festival, the unleavened bread, goes for seven weeks. Seven times seven, 49, then a new festival starts on the 50th day. Hence the word Pentecost means the 50th. That season is the festival of new beginnings, of new life, of a new harvest being sown. And that is the day in which in God's time, who God alone knows the days and the seasons when the time is right, that this amazing moment of Pentecost broke in. It is a season of new beginnings that has no end. And so it continues. So we have the imagery that is highlighted, the sound like the blowing of a violent wind and what seem to be tongues of fire. There are a whole range of different images that are used of the moving of the Spirit. Jesus spoke of it also like the wind as well as uh, the waters, the living water is also the water of the Spirit. One of my um, hobbies is sailing. And uh, I've been working on a project in the last few months of restoring my sabre. A sabre is about a 12-foot sailing dinghy, dinghy, pretty much only for one person. Um, It's a skiff, and uh, I have sailed it previously. It's hard to describe as someone who loves sailing that moment when the wind catches the sail and you just do that lurch forward. It's exciting. For me, it's an adrenaline rush to feel the power of the wind catching it. And because it's a sailing skiff, you need to actually make sure you've got your, your balance right, that you anticipate the coming of this power. It also can be seriously scary. And as I've sailed over many years in different types of boats on all different descriptions, I still get a moment of, of fear when a powerful wind is tipping a, a yacht right over to the edge and part of you thinks, well, I'm just going to see how far I can ride that out. I do remember one moment um, when I was um, trusted the helmer, a, uh, a 45-foot yacht in um, Pitwater in Sydney with a seriously big headsail, the bit the, the, uh, the the sail at the front is enormous and uh, it was a strong wind blowing and I don't know why the person trusted me to helm it. He said, oh, you can sail, you can helm it. I did try to point out that my humble sailing dinghies aren't quite the same league as those ones. But I have done a bit of sailing. But there is a power in that that is actually frightening. It is so powerful that you, a good sailor knows how to respect that. You don't fight it, you don't battle it you work with it and you need to respect it in that power. 
So that moving of the wind can evoke that power that comes through this whole household where they were sitting. And they seen what seemed to be like tongues of fire separated and rested on each of them. Now, as I heard the passage this morning, that phrase that the, the sound, the movement of the Spirit came upon the whole household. We tend to think of it as a very individual gift, this coming of the Spirit is, and it has a very personal dimension to it. But we shouldn't forget that it's actually something that the whole household of faith shares together. We enter into this. And we note that its manifestation is many and varied. How people experience of it can differ from time to time. This particular moment, we'll see in a few, uh, in a few moments, was one unique period in the life of God's working. There are other periods in which very similar manifestations occurred as well. But here, the speaking in tongues is not the same as what Paul speak, talks about in 1 Corinthians, which is a, a heavenly language which requires interpretation. Here, it is a language that all the people who gathered from right around the Mediterranean world could hear their language in their own tongue. And they say, how is it that these in brackets, assumed ignorant Galileans, um, could be speaking in such a wide range of languages as the Spirit enabled them. And that gives us an important clue to what it means to be filled with the Spirit. is isn't just so that we can feel the adrenaline rush and the excitement. It comes with a purpose, and the purpose is mission, as those other languages point to the breaking out of the mission and ministry of God. In fact, in the wider scheme of things, it wasn't a strategic mission plan that the early church came up with. It's actually through the scattering of all those who had gathered for Pentecost from all their different locations upon the persecution of Stephen that they were scattered and went back to their homelands that the first mission movement came as a result of that persecution. We can see God at work. And this is also picked up in the Gospel reading we had from John 20. It's the passage where Jesus came into the locked room where the disciples were fearful of the Jewish leaders. And he spoke to them and said, Peace be with you. Shalom be with you. And I'm not going to dwell on that further, but many of you would know the richness of that word shalom as flourishing, as growth. But notice the profound combination of what follows. First of all, there is a commissioning for the disciples and then those who shall gather with the disciples, and it's a commissioning in mission. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. Sending is mission. It is to go. And the work and ministry that they've observed in Jesus is Jesus is about to ascend and he's now saying, this is now your mission. With that missional commission, they then receive the Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The two go together. Mission 
and receiving the Holy Spirit. There's a lovely quote in a classic book by uh, Bishop John V. Taylor. He was the one I mentioned a few weeks ago, the uh, grandpa for Ben Wood. And his classic text called The Go-Between God describes the working of the Holy Spirit. His opening words, the first paragraph in his book, reads like this. The chief actor in the historic mission of the Christian church is the Holy Spirit. He is the director of the whole enterprise. The mission consists of the things he is doing in the world. In a special way, it consists of the light that he is focusing upon Jesus Christ. In Acts of the Apostles, we could describe it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, as the movement that the Spirit brought was a movement in mission, out into the world, wherever it takes, wherever it leads. I do wonder that in the becalmed state of the Western church, especially some of the mainstream church in the Western tradition, that feels overwhelmed by the change that is occurring around us, even we might describe as the spiritual doldrums of the Western church as we go through practices and feel as though this wider world is going to overwhelm us. And the challenges are enormous. The challenges of um, hearing and receiving this missional mandate to find our voice in the midst of a world with so many voices to say, come this way, this is how to live, go that way. And younger generations who seem too busy or not motivated to reflect on deeper questions of faith and belief and of so many competing powers and opinions and voices, it's too much. And so we retreat into church and try and hold that wider world at a distance. Except missionally, we're called to be in that world. The most important message that the apostles heard at Pentecost was wait. Jesus did commission them to go and to to be his witnesses and to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But the first thing they needed to do was wait. We are never called to go it alone. The moment we think as a church, we've got some great ideas, we've got a vision, maybe we could do this, got some bright ideas. The moment we think it's all a matter of developing our, our mission plans and strategies, without waiting and without praying, then it's a futile exercise. And it is overwhelming. My prayer as we approach this day of Pentecost, both at St. Matthew's and as a diocese and beyond, is that we will know how to wait and to discern and to see how the Spirit is at work under the radar. Let's see where Peter takes it. Peter explains what's going on, not as being drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. You almost have a chuckle over that one. But first of all, he quotes 
from Joel, and there's some similar passages in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah and Isaiah about the working of the Spirit. He uses the phrase from Joel, in the last days, in those days. He means there will be a time to come, an era to come, that will be characterised by the working of the Spirit that is unlike anything before then. And those last days, those days continue into the present. This is the world in which we now live. And it will be characterised by what one of my lecturers at college described as the democratisation of the spirit. I thought, what an interesting phrase when I first heard it 35 years ago. still speaks to me today. What it means is that in the Old Testament, individuals receive the spirit to enable them to do a, a specific ministry or leadership role. Prophets receive the spirit. The Messiah, the, the kings of Israel received the Spirit. The servant received the Spirit. Jesus received the Spirit upon his baptism. But a time would come. It won't come just upon individuals. It will come upon all of God's people. And so Peter highlights it. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men, old men, even among my servants, both men and Women, every one of us receives the Spirit in a way which enables us to discern, to speak, to step out, to be used by God in the mission and ministry of God. That is where we are to find our hope and our energy. There is a lot more happening, I believe, under the radar in terms of discerning the moving of the Spirit. Not so much in the big dramatic headlines that we might hear or not hear in the news, not so much in even some of the, the bigger churches that get all the focus, but there is a discerning of the Spirit across many smaller churches that are recognising that being church, being the community we're called to be, the way we relate to each other, the way we have time for others, the way in which we seek to serve the wider community, God is at work doing something that can change the world unlike any other power. Sons and daughters, young men and old men, men and women receive this working of the Spirit. That's an incredibly profound way to view those who are sitting alongside us in the pew. And also our hope, and one of my particular prayers, is that the revival that we pray for will be led by the next generation. That the young, young men, the sons and the daughters amongst us will lead us in revival. That is my prayer. This particular picture really speaks to me because it highlights that it doesn't matter what our age, male or female, what our social status is, whether we are abled or disabled, whatever that means, every one of us receives and has the Spirit working in and through us. We're told not to quench the Spirit. We're told not to fall back and to, to let the Spirit run ahead of us and we don't want to keep in step. We have our part to play within it. But every one of us can enter into that space. 
One of the roles in um, sailing are those who can see the wind that is coming, as I said before. They can see the, the, the water beginning to, to roughen up, to have a ripple, to see the wind approaching. And the goal is to prepare for that coming wind, to make sure that we are well placed to, to receive and to work with that. That is a particular gift that some people have spiritually to see how God is at work and to be encouraged and saying it's, it's coming. A key part of that process of preparation is prayer, intentional prayer. Yesterday afternoon, as some of us gathered for the Anglican Renewal um, Network uh, e-gathering, and we heard from Jill Weber, who's a significant voice in the 24-7 prayer movement in Lectio 365, and one of the exchanges she mentioned is that uh, some people, her own experience, she said, first of all, was that if you just want to add prayer around the edges of your life, it just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't feel as though it's actually making getting much traction. It's often because it's around the edges of our life. Then she asked the question of those who inquire, saying, look, life is just so busy. It's so hard to, to find time to pray intentionally. And she said, you know, I understand that. Let me just ask you a question. How much time do you spend flicking through social media? How much time do you spend reading different posts and all that the, the news feeds are trying to put before us? I thought, ouch, at that moment. Because <laughs> that can fill all too much of our day and give us too much headspace that we don't really need to have. It's not a question of not having the time. It's actually having the will to read and to reflect and to hear and to sit with God. Yes, we do it as we move around the busyness of the day. But I also know we don't do enough just to sit and to be still. That's why our, our prayer gatherings, when they come up, are important for us as a church to sit and to seek. There's a challenge for me and for all of us to go deeper Sometimes when it comes to things of the Spirit, I wonder whether I just like dipping my toes in, maybe even go up to my ankles. To go up to my knees would be a bit of a serious challenge. Many years ago, in uh, Helensburg Church, where Fiona and I and John and I were, we had a church member, uh, Eleanor is her name. She came from England. She came from one of those Midland cities in England where she had never learnt to swim. In fact, she was fearful about the whole experience of immersing herself totally into water because she never learnt to swim. Helensburg had some uh, local swimming pool, so she said, at the right old age of her late 70s, I'm going to learn to swim. So she took some classes, and it was quite a process to, to step down into a pool and to begin to feel that the deeper you go, it's more unsettling as the body weight and I still remember the Sunday she came to church and she said, I did it. I plunged into the water and I felt my feet rise up and I swam. I wonder whether that's our challenge with the Spirit. Whether we are just dipping our toes and whether we need to take that plunge into the waters and trust that there's a world there, always has been there, but when we just skim over the surface, there's so much that we are missing in this world around us.
So as we approach this Pentecost, I ask you personally and as a church to wait, to pray, to be open to receive whatever is a a meaningful way in which it speaks to you, whether it's through our songs, whether it's through our prayers, whether it's through our gatherings and our hospitality. It is many and varied. But do not just skim over the surface. Don't just observe the pool at a distance. You will never know what it is to swim by staying in the stands and observing others swimming. It's only by taking that step ourselves. The invitation of Pentecost is our invitation to receive and not know exactly where that will take us and where it will lead. My prayer is that our whole household as a church will experience a strengthening of that wind and it will carry us into mission and ministry. In the name of Jesus, enabled by his Holy Spirit. Amen.